everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the Equalizer podcast. I'm your host, Claire Watkins, joined this week by Jeff Kasuf to talk all things NWSL because we have a lot of games. We're not going to get into all of them, but we did have some midweek games. We had it felt like a game a day. We had Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We are recording this on Monday before the Kansas City Louisville game um, on Memorial Day, but lots of NWSL games to talk about. And I think... That's why we're going to go a little bit general. We're going to talk about teams probably more than games themselves, though obviously the games are relevant. Maybe, Jeff, first question for you. I'll, I'll, I'll posit this, this, uh, this idea to you, and you can tell me if you agree with me, which is the first eight games in the NWSL historically are a little bit topsy-turvy, right? How much can we glean from the results right now, do you think? Yeah, I agree with you on on sort of the way these seasons typically start. And I think there's ample evidence for it. Um, and and you know, I think if you're a team that's off to a hot start, which is maybe both the expansion teams is is even better than maybe anybody probably thought. That you maybe don't want to hear that, and maybe it's encouraging if you're you know one of these incumbent teams that we expected to be a little better. That's quote unquote struggling. But yeah, I, I think that um, this is a league that is always proven to be, I always call it like the long summer. Mm -hmm. I think you hit those summer months and obviously some of these markets where it's just grueling heat and, and temperatures and conditions and, and that's part of it. And there's the schedule congestion. And, you know, I think the summer months are really where you see sort of who rises above and, and how things sort of maybe regress to the mean if they've, if kind of started off funky and, uh, we saw that last year. I keep using the example with, you know, the Orlando pride were top of the table and then didn't even make it to the final weekend for contending for a playoff spot. Right. Um, and, and, you know, obviously they're off to a pretty good start this season. And, and, you know, similarly, I think we expected them to be poor and, and they were in the challenge cup. So, um, you know, do the first eight games, let's call it third of the season matter, obviously, but, you know, I, I think that, um, there's, I think part of this too, Claire, is, is that, you know, there are all these sort of tangent conversations that we have maybe in like a vacuum to a degree, but, you know, that they, they play a role where the spirit are off to, I would say a struggle to start is, is maybe a fair way to put it. But yeah. obviously we've talked about the Challenge Cup schedule and that was brutal on them among other teams, but also, and we've talked about this a little bit, I mean, they are playing 11 games in the first month. I don't have the exact day number in front of right. me, but basically the first month of the season they're playing or, you know, roughly half a schedule in, in six weeks or so. So, you know, they are, I think part of this, you know, giving up two goals in stoppage time to, to draw two, two when they had a tuna lead. I mean, these are, I think you can talk about exhaustion there. I think, you know, the schedule imbalance then plays into that as well. So yeah, I think that the first part of this season is always a little bit funky and how exactly it'll look different in three, four five months. We'll see, but I don't expect it to look like this. Yeah. I mean, we're also, you talk about the schedule imbalance. <clears throat> it's very difficult to gauge like from the table, right? Because we still have teams that have played two fewer games than, than other teams. Um, and, and that is when you, when you talk about right playing this many games in the next month or so uh, that will even out <clears throat> by 
I think the end of June, but we're not there yet. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, the schedule is what it is and, and it's not, you know, Washington still has a very rough go of it. Um, I think everybody's getting their rescheduled games in, in the next two weeks. Right. So, uh, Portland is going to have an extra game. North Carolina is going to have an extra game. Chicago is going to have an extra game for like Chicago, for example, it's just unfortunate. And again, it's just like, where's the foresight is their their rescheduled midweek game comes off of a week where they already had a midweek game scheduled. So they're going to be playing five games in the next two weeks. Um, it's, it, it is a factor 100%. I will just say that I guess maybe the good news for teams that are having some trouble is because truly, and, and this is true again this year, because any team can take points off of any team, you don't necessarily always see uh, a, a team consistently rise to the top and stay there, kind of like what you were saying. And so if you're having trouble getting points, you have to also understand that other teams are too. So there's maybe a little bit of hope there just in terms of the actual points. Um, so so let's talk about a team actually that, that did quite well this week. I want to talk about OL Reign. Because I, I find them, I find them very, very interesting. They're a very good team. They have a lot of very good players. The style with which they play is um, very. Uh, what's the right word? It's uh, it's free flowing. It's fun to watch. They get six points out of out of two games this week. But, and this is why I find them interesting. The two goals that they scored to get these points did not really come. I mean, maybe you can argue that the free kick that was won this weekend came from, from the system working. And I I would understand that point, but actual goals are coming from a style of, of play that is not really what they are doing for most of the 90 minutes of a game. And so you want to talk about NWSL history, Jeff, does this league reward teams that pass really well and try to generate attack through their midfield historically well no i mean right it's like short answer no right no yeah yeah. i think the 2014 15 rain which um we're getting a bit of a throwback to i guess for a month basically with you know with kim little's loan coming Mm -hmm. um you know i i think certainly they did fc kansas city you know to bridge to hedge the answer a little bit you know those two teams in their heyday um, I, I think the answer would be yes, but, you know, yes. in many ways, obviously that, you know, that version of the league um, and, and I'm always like a historical preservationist of those early years, but, sure. you know, it does feel like a long time ago. And, and obviously, you know, certainly you look at the teams that have dominated recently, you know, North Carolina and that, that stretch and, and Portland, which ran simultaneous, you know, they had elements of possession, but certainly like the courage, 2018, 19, the, the hallmarks of that team are press high. You never get to our back line and, right. you know, we, we kind of suffocate you in high areas. Um, well, they I also, and, and like legitimately, right. Had, had Lynn Williams, right. They had right. forwards right. who, who were finishers. Yeah. 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 And I think, you know, the spirit 2021 champions, I think that they were and are still, you know, a decent hybrid of that where they mm-hmm. do like to possess out of the back. They have forwards that can defend really well. And, and they can, they know when to hit those moments in transition, but yeah, I mean, look, you know, the, the cliche that this is a transition league, it's, it's annoying maybe to, to hear it all the time, but it is. And if you want to possess within it um, and to be clear, you need to possess, but yeah, you know, if you yeah. want to possess within it, I think um, 
you have to, you have to do that intelligently. And that's actually, you know, I, I think that we talk about like possession stats a lot and I kind of like grind my teeth at them at halftime of every game because we get like the, well, look, it's a 60, 40 split. Right. They and, must be playing like, so well. They've had right. the ball 60% of the yeah. time. Right. And yeah. It's like some of these teams are set up to concede that 60 because yes. they know that they can pounce on it. So, right. um, yeah, I think the short answer is, is no, but obviously you need to be able to. So, I mean, I guess, you know, the thing, the thing that I find, and I think we've talked about this on the podcast, maybe last year, which is that one of the, one of the tricks that OL rain does have up their sleeve is, is this concept where they kind of lull you to sleep in the midfield, but then they do have this width provided by Sofia Huerta. And obviously we saw in these two goals this week that that's the, you know, that is the winning combination right now is her getting the ball into the box. Um, And and so it, I don't know, and, and I'd never want to act like things are an accident or, or anything like that. Maybe that's part of the plan, which is to just, you know, make the other team chase for a while and then kick it out wide later in the game. But um, it, these last two games have always felt a little bit like snatching a victory from the jaws of a nil nil draw. And I always find that fascinating because we've seen teams uh, find ways to carry that momentum throughout a whole season, right? Like Chicago did that last year, but also we've seen teams do well in the regular season and then hit a wall when they get to the playoffs because they just can't score. And so obviously it's really, really early days, but I find OL rain really interesting because I do think they're so good, but they, we've seen other teams. Like I, you know, I think of, the 2019 Portland Thorns, they had a really good midfield and they just could not get it working with, with their attackers. And they really struggled to score in the second half of that season. Um, but I also think Oval Rain is not alone. I think there's a number of teams trying to do this exact thing this year. I think Portland is actually one of them. Um, Chicago is one of them. There are, a, there's maybe been this resurgence of this idea that, that you can play possession football in this league. And I find that actually really fun to watch. Um, we'll see if it turns into dubs though. I think that that's maybe just the bigger question. And yeah, this maybe opens up the Kim little, uh, conversation. First of all, I'm thrilled. That's very exciting to get, you know, a legend of the league back, um, you know, back, back with the, the, the crew in Seattle. Um, I think maybe one caveat to what I'm about to say is that, uh, she's going to, it's a very short loan. She's coming in, I think middle of June, leaving the end of August, um, that period of time does encapsulate the CONCACAF World Cup qualifying. So I think maybe the, the easy answer for all the questions I'm about to ask is that they, they need midfield reinforcements when they're going to have Rose Lavelle and Quinn gone. Um, however, that's no fun to talk about. So let's talk about <laughs> if you're a team that's doing a really good job possessing the ball, moving the ball, and struggling to score, then they add another midfield piece. But should, well, maybe the question for you, Jeff, is do you feel like the rain has, they have the front line to be able to sort of unlock some of the goal scoring or does that, is this roster just set up to play exactly like they're playing? I think probably yes to both. Uh, You know, I think that the, there's obviously a a lot of buy-in from Laura Harvey and company um, for good reason, you know, in you know, Bethany Balser as the nine, I mm-hmm. think she's earned that, you know, over the past couple of years, past few years. Um, and, you know, I think is, is that um, the exact same 
sort of uh, headline nine, perhaps as, as some other teams and, and how they're set up, maybe not, but, you know, I, I think certainly she's earned that and, and continues to show, you know, I think in, in sort of more uh, gritty sort of ways, um, which is, you know, a characteristic, I, I think, you know, you're talking about, we we're talking about sort of early season results. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, part of that is winning games that maybe you shouldn't in, in some way. And, yeah. and I think, you know, for the rain to be, um, picking up three points in the way that they are and, you know, coming off of the, let's call it month or so that they've had Mm -hmm. among other teams, obviously that, you know, I think this is, it bodes well and it gives them some, some wiggle room in that tough summer stretch. But, um, you know, I, Jess Fishlock, as we've become accustomed to, you know, certainly in the way they defend, I mean, she's often their highest defender in -hmm. the way that they set up. So, you know, obviously she's not a nine, but, you know, I, I think Laura Harvey clearly seems comfortable with the idea that, you know, Rose Lavelle can exchange with a nine and, and sort of move into that space. Jess Fishlock can do the same thing. You know, we've previously known Kim Little in a Seattle era to do the same. And, and you know, as we were saying off air, maybe that's not necessarily her profile anymore. But, right. um, you know, I, I think that clearly, you know, Laura Harvey's comfortable with saying, I've got you know, Bethany Balsra up front, obviously, you know, Ali Watt and some others who can, who can be in that space. I think Veronica Latsko has actually been, you know, even if statistically it, it's not necessarily jumping out. Um, I, I think she's been quite good for them in, in what she's been asked to do. So, you know, then you're looking at, um, as you said, Lavelle and Quinn gone for, for the stretch of July, I guess, but, you know, Fishlock uh, and Little for a brief time who can come out of that space. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think that is, um, I think that can be a winning recipe for the rain. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, I, and I do understand that these, again, a little bit more of a nuanced project. This is why we do sometimes see teams that are a little bit more direct, jump out at the top of the table at the beginning of the year, and then things sort of settle because these, these projects do take time to sort of figure out. Um, and, and to be clear, right. They've, they've won, they won both games this week. So, so that is also, they're getting the points. So that's great. Um, <clears throat> I want to maybe pivot over to the, other. I, I really, I mean, I was at the, the Portland versus Chicago game and I think it's worth talking about both of those teams, at least a little bit as well. Um, Portland again, a work, well, both works in progress, really, you know, new coach for both teams, um, kind of new system, certainly new systems for Chicago, Portland, I think has tweaked their system a little bit. Um, they, you know, they were pretty much, they were pretty consistently in a four, four, two last year. Um, this is a little bit more malleable what they're doing now, sometimes in a three back, sometimes a five Chicago is not in a five back at all. They're very clearly in a three, they're packing their midfield. Sometimes it looks like they play with a three, six, one. Um, so maybe Jeff, bigger question. Does it feel like we've seen some more tactical wrinkles this year already, maybe with so many new coaches in the league? Yes, I think certainly the coaches, new coaches are, are um, an element of that. I mean, I think the, the, the prevalence of, uh, um, you know, the prevailing sort of three back is, um, is interesting to me because I think, you know, it's not something that a lot of teams have tried consistently in the past. I think Mm -hmm. we've seen it in sort of these fluky one-off situations. And I mean, even last week you hear Houston players talk about, 
training for 15 minutes, you know, before they left in the three back and then they didn't want to do it in Portland, according to the broadcast. And, right. um, you know, so, so that is maybe also falls into that category, but like my mind goes back to, I think it was Freya Coombs last game in, in Gotham, um, or second to last perhaps in, in last summer. And they just showed up in this three back and, and post game players were like, yeah, we, you know, that was just thrown at us. And we, the vibe around that was like very much uh, a surprise and not, not super welcome. And, and, you know, I think this year we're seeing, um, quite a bit of, of that nuance and that's, you know, within games, uh, within, within the season here where it's not, you know, yes, I, I think Chicago seems pretty settled into this three back system that they have, right. but you know, a team like Houston where um, it's, it's week to week, they go into Portland, they have a three right. back and then they come back in, you know, to more of a traditional four, three, three against North Carolina next week. And they said, that's, that was always part of the plan. You know, I think that is something of a curveball that we're seeing a little bit more of this year. But I do think it's interesting that, you know, as it relates to the Thorns, and I, I agree, I think Chicago was very good. I actually thought, um, I don't know if this is surprising per se, but, you know, you look at the defenders on the field for the day. I thought Tatum Malazzo was probably the best 1v1 defender out of the, let's call it, six that you know were on yeah, the field it was, that, day. that was absolutely her best game of the season so far yeah 1, and, and yeah. you know sh- relatively shutting down Sophia Smith which is you know I don't think a 1v1 battle that anybody in the league is welcoming if you're a defender right um, but I do think it's interesting that Portland back-to-back weeks where they've really struggled and in both cases they were against a you know, a three back of their own against a three back system right? Um, where Houston, you know, was a surprise. Chicago certainly was not. Right. And I think that they were really offset in those, those wing plays. And obviously I think Rianne Wilkinson had some idea because we had Natalia Quica switching sides, Janine mm-hmm. Becky then on the right wing back. And, you know, that was obviously to try to unlock something, uh, maybe Quica cutting inside, but really didn't work, which, and, and I think Quica has been one of the best, was certainly one of the best players in the Challenge Cup. So um, that's a, that's an interesting wrinkle that Portland is running into that they're really being offset in those wide channels when they try to get those wingbacks activated. Right. No, I, I you know, like I said, I, I was there, so I got to see it. It was an interesting game to watch in person because it was a lot about the system, whether the system was working and the pieces within the system were working for both teams. And yeah, they they almost completely matched numbers, right? We had same defensive scheme, very similar midfields. And so it did come down to where things were getting crowded and and where players were finding space and Chicago. And like I said, Chicago, it really is a traditional three back. The wingbacks do not track back that much. They really are there to, to generate attack. Um, Though obviously, you know, Rachel Hill was running a lot. Bianca St. George was running a lot. Um, what, What I found interesting, I guess, for Portland in terms of warning signs is and this is maybe what you 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 see against Houston in, in the week prior is is Chicago had to make the subs that they made and Chicago is not you know I'm reluctant to say that they're not a deep team because they obviously were able to to hold out for a point in this match but they're a young team when they substitute they're subbing on rookies they they end I think six rookies played in that game for Chicago five were on the field at the same time at final whistle and you you think to yourself oh well Portland's going to figure out how to exploit this. And it just didn't always feel like, you know, they brought Christine Sinclair on late 
Um, they brought Megan Klingberg in on late, like they brought Kling in late. It did not feel like while, while their point of contention was a little bit higher than Chicago's, I'm not going to act like Portland wasn't on the front foot. You're waiting for them to get a breakthrough and, and it just never comes. And again, it, it kind of comes back to this idea of you can have the idea, the style of play. I think for both teams, it really only works if you don't concede as much as, as both teams are currently conceding. And I think obviously they'll work on that, but um, yeah, I, I thought it was interesting that that ended two two. It didn't have the feeling of a draw, um, but I, I was interested that, that neither team was able to kind of break the deadlock. Though I do want to mention, Jeff, since I have you, um, when we when we talk about duels, battles, whatever, obviously these two players are not actively playing against each other because they're in the same position. But it was cool to see Pew versus Smith, and I think that that was you want to talk about like an exciting generating of, of stars for the league. That was cool. And I do think that it's significant that both of these players, they're, they're scoring in almost every game, right? Yeah. I mean, I think that probably two of the best forwards in the league right now, you know, and, and obviously certainly two of the best American forwards. And, and you look at that pool. I mean, I think we're, you know, we've talked about this. Uh, I think you and I were a few weeks ago already, but on this pod, but you know, it's going to be an interesting U.S. camp coming up because you've got Smith, you've got Pew, Rodman, and then you've also got, I would say, both Alex Morgan and Kristen Press in in really, really top form um, for their teams for the most part. So, um, yeah, I think I think Pew, good to see her back on the field, obviously, and and Smith, um, I, I think have both added wrinkles. And and you know, for me, um, I, w- I wanted to tweet this, but I feel like I'm, I'm always like nervous about the lack of nuance in 240 characters, but sure. you know, Pew, we've heard so much about Pew for so long and, and she's not even, I mean, she's still got, you know, hopefully 10 years in front of her or more, but you know, she came onto the scene and it was instant, right? I remember that game in San Diego, she's scoring, she's like, who, you know, right away, this, this kid's good. Right. And, mm-hmm. um, there was that high moment. And then following that, let's say year or so, there were a lot of sort of up and downs and, and obviously injuries as part of that. Um, she's kind of talked about, I mean, I've talked with her sitting down with her about kind of losing her way a little bit there in that process. She thought she had the restart in sky blue really almost never happened for the most part with the COVID loss season. And then another restart in Chicago where, you know, last year really finally came together. And I think um, maybe at least at the start of it somewhat quietly. And I think people are kind of back to, and I say this, maybe the the wider world is kind of back to paying attention. Um, And I just think about that with, you know, a world cup qualifying is a month away, basically um, a world cup around the corner. And, you know, I think we kind of see the the attention comes from the outside, right? And they want to kind of, people want to find who's the story, who's the star, star to be, who's going to be the breakout. And, you know, we always kind of see that. I feel like we see a pattern of that, like misidentified as being like a cycle too early. And, you know, in 2019, that was like, everybody was Mal Pugh's breakout. And, and, you know, there was that pressure there and the form actually didn't match at that point. But now, I think really, you know, we are seeing her into becoming her best self 
And I think consistently now we've got a year's worth of that. And, you know, hopefully that continues for her sake, obviously, and for the U S into next summer. But I think really, you know, now, whereas we've seen it in bits and pieces, we're really seeing it every week. Yeah. I mean, I think maybe my perspective, having seen her obviously play quite a bit uh, in Chicago is I think that the way Chicago played last year um, held them back in a number of ways. It was a difficult way to play the game of soccer and obviously it carried them to the final, but um I do think when you're asked to work that much without the ball and a lot of times to be Frank Pugh was working without a ton of help. Um, I think it made her a better overall player, like all around kind of a, kind of a striker. I think we saw her off the ball movement change. I think we saw her defensive work rate change. I think we saw her playmaking abilities outside of just finishing change. And that's really exciting to see a player take that next step forward And then this year it's combined with the finishing. And I think that that that's the key. And I, and I also, I, I, I've said this before on the podcast and I think this is true, which is just, you cannot discount how much a year essentially off can affect some of those finishing rhythms. And I think that that's why we're seeing some of these players get on these hot streaks, even just in terms of putting the ball in the back of the net. Um, So yeah, interested in Portland, interested in Chicago. I think Chicago We'll, we'll live and die on the progress that their really young players make, but they're off to a great start. And I think that that's very exciting uh, for Portland. They have the players. I'm not sure that those players within the system are 100% working yet. Um, why don't we take a break? We're going to take a break and we'll come back and we'll talk Houston, North Carolina. We'll, we'll check in on some of these other teams. We'll be right back. Welcome back to part two of this week's edition of the Equalizer podcast. I am your host, Claire Watkins, joined this week by Jeff Kasouf. Going to say the same, the same thing I say every week. Please rate and review this podcast. Give us five stars. Give us a nice rating. It helps people find us. So if you appreciate the podcast, help other people appreciate the podcast. Give us a rating and a review. So checking in on some other teams here. I, Jeff, I, I want to kind of give you the floor because I do think that this is interesting. You mentioned it a little bit in the first segment. So Houston, obviously James Clarkson steps out of the picture early on into their regular season, or it was during the challenge cup. Um, I think, Oh gosh, time, but um, they have <laughs> yeah. a rough challenge cup. They have a rough challenge cup, but in this regular season, I think we're seeing some adaptability from the dash that we haven't always seen from them. So Jeff, I want you to talk about Houston a little bit. Obviously they shock Portland. They get a, a, a decent point against North Carolina. They probably have to think that they could have gotten all three. Um, tell me what you're seeing from the dash. Yeah. I thought Houston was a much better team against North Carolina on the weekend. And yeah. I think I don't have the XG in front of me, but it was like negligibly zero for the courage and, and Deanna Ordonez, you know, got that early one. But I think, you know, I think if you're Houston, you walk away, disappointed with that result in a way because you really should have had the three points but but yeah I think the you know it's interesting because um we've got this sort of um for good reason or we think anyway you know we're we're lack of information I guess but this sort of purgatory state of what's going on in that coaching situation because um but, but I say that in the sense that typically when a manager is fired which James Clarkson is suspended and presumably not you know, in any sort of contact with anybody, but um, typically that in, in many leagues globally, even that, that 
provides a boost to a team in a way that there's kind of this, this re-energized um, sort of state of a team. And, you know, I think maybe you could say that in this case, we're, we're five games into the season now. Um, we'll see. I mean, I think the thing that struck me yesterday were, were you know, there were a couple things. I mean, Rachel Daly post game, and I asked her this, you know, after she said it too, because we've seen this in some waves from the dash over the past couple of years, past few years now where, you know, they won that 2020 challenge cup and, you know, we know the narrative, right? It was, this is a different team. There's always been these struggles um, to, to finish games, to, to be consistent. There's always sort of this stigma with this team that they can't get it done. And they felt like the 2020 challenge cup victory erased that then came 2021 and a really disappointing regular season, especially that last home stretch where they just needed a point and couldn't get it. Right. And, and now, you know, a, a rough challenge cup to start the season. Okay. You know, throw that away as a preseason tournament, but a lot of questions about this team. And, and, you know, Rachel Daly, after this draw with North Carolina said, I feel like in the past we would have allowed a late winner mm. and, and dropped these points entirely. And, and it says something that we didn't. And, you know, I mean, I even asked her and, and said, you know, you've said that before, right? So what, what's different? And there does seem to be, um, at least from what we can tell from the outside, obviously, a confidence about this team, you know, given what they're doing. I, I will say this, you know, we've heard them say it before. I do think that at least in this small sample size of the start of the season, we are seeing something different from them in how they play. Mm-hmm. I mean, they are, you watch the game against North Carolina even, and they're a fun team to watch, you know, maybe at the 2020 challenge cup, they were, I wouldn't say they necessarily were beyond maybe the start of last season. Right. Maybe, maybe they were in the spring last season and we'll see if the, the same pattern plays out this year, but you know, they are a fun team right now under Sarah Loudon and, and, you know, whether that lasts, we'll see, but I think that is something, you know, markedly different from the traditional sort of, you know, woe is me type of dash situation. So yeah, I I think that there is some flexibility. Obviously you'll get that with, I think, Nichelle Prince and and Mariah Sanchez, you know, playing uh, on those wings. But um, I I think they're probably biggest question marks. You know, there were certainly defensive question marks on the challenge cup. And then in central midfield, you know, Sophie Schmidt, is in there as kind of a holding player. I mean, Kelsey Hedge, I, I don't know. It looked like a tough injury in that game on, on Sunday, but um, you know, Marissa Vigiano has been in there. Shea Groom has kind of been rotated a bit, which is a little bit surprising. Um, but, but who's kind of holding down that midfield, I think will be a big sort of long-term question because that also affects that back line. Yes. And yeah, maybe, maybe this is a good, good place to, to jump off here of, um, you know, Sarah Loudon was, was open when she, when she stepped up to be interim head coach that, uh, she had to think about it. She wasn't sure that this was a role that she was, uh, ready to take on, but I think she's done a really nice job. So for you, Jeff, you know, pending whatever happens with Clarkson, it seems like they've got a really nice steady hand in, in Loudon, right? It seems that way. Yeah. And, and look, I mean, you know, the, I think she probably was surprised because I think it was a matter of weeks really after she was announced as an assistant that, right. you know, that, that she steps into this role and, and she talked a little bit about her journey um, as a coach, you know, along the way. So I, I think, you know, buy-in from the players is a starting point of anything. And, and she seems to have that. 
So I think that's, you know, and certainly that's part of the the sort of narrative around confidence and, and how the team is playing. So, you know, I think, again, like you said, I mean, we'll see. I, I don't I don't have a clear idea even and, and have been asking of when we'll have some kind of a resolution one way or another on, on what's going on with James Clarkson. But, right. you know, assuming that, um, you know, maybe we've, we've we're seeing a guard change here for one reason or another. You know, I think that Houston, you have to you have to look at how things have started and the familiarity and say, okay, this is this is the direction we go then for now. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. I'm I'm excited to see what happens with Houston. Um, so maybe flipping to the other side of this game, and and maybe this is a good chance to talk about two teams at once, which we've done <laughs> multiple weeks. I'm sorry if this is getting boring for listeners, but it is kind of still relevant when. At the, at the beginning of the show, we were talking about difficulties scoring goals with with a certain number of teams. North Carolina's attack has flatlined, right? Um, as has to a certain extent the Washington Spirits. It's yeah. beating a dead horse, but <laughs> can they? Is this just the schedule, and can they recover? Well, I think I mean look at look at how different North Carolina is with Caroline, right? Right. And and that's I mean, I think that has to be a huge part of it. I know they were excited to have Emily Gray back. She did have the assist on Ordonez's goal. And and I think Ordonez has been good. Um Yeah, agreed. You know, I do think, you know, we talk about early season. I mean, I think a lot of us, I mean, I was, you know, put me in the front of this line. I, I thought the courage were gonna struggle this year. And then we get the challenge cup and they look good. And, and I think we all, you know, at least responsibly were like, okay, it's the challenge cup. Let's see. But, um, so, so there are a lot of factors sort of playing off of each other here at the start of this regular season, but, you know, I think we're seeing maybe some of those concerns and, you know, we're still seeing days where, um, you know, they're playing, obviously Taylor Smith was a forward and can play fullback and, you know, but like Jalen Daniels is still sometimes lining up as, maybe the front most player at times, at least right. on that left side. And, you know, uh, she's been very good historically in that left back position. And, but, you know, if that is your answer to goal scoring over the, you know, 24 game season, I think that that could be a problem. So, you know, I think a lot of this is we really have to reassess once Caroline gets back because right. we, we saw what that can be, at least in those kind of, final two, three games of that challenge cup. And, you know, I think a good reminder on the broadcast, I mean, I actually, I needed a reminder myself on it, like Valerie Govin, Gavon coming in, you know, I think that's going to be um, another big piece and how does that come together? Um, So I, I think, you know, in some ways I'm not surprised from what I expected two months ago. Mm -hmm. I think maybe the challenge cup sort of reset our expectations on this courage team, but, you know, it still is, it's a team in its old system with a bunch of new players, even if some of them played it as sort of a secondary player at times. And, you know, I think that there are going to be some growing pains within that. And, and it's, you know, I thought maybe the league had figured out that box, you know, even by last year. And, you know, now they're trying to sort of re-implement it at a time when, you know, we just talked about a lot of the tactics in this league have changed. So does that system still work is going to be a question when these other teams are shifting the three back, shifting into something more dynamic. 
you know, it is, if you look at where Houston found success on Sunday, they found it in the wide channels and you can look and say, okay, I mean, you look at a starting graphic for North Carolina and they're just a straight line. Right. And, and, you know, there's no surprise that they're going to find in those wide channels. So, you know, you start facing a team that has the winger quality that they have a team in a, a three, five, two, where they want those wing backs up and down. I mean, it'll be interesting to see if that system holds throughout the season. Yeah, no, that makes sense. It's like, um, obviously it's kind of funny, right? Because North Carolina has so many outside backs. They have so many wingers. They have, they have a lot of wide players, but they're having to play all of them at once. And I think that it's perhaps negating some of the, the more uh, dynamic attributes of some of those players. Um, yeah, I, it, we'll see. I, I think that they're going to get better once they get a couple pieces back, but, um, if we've learned anything, it's that truly the challenge cup is, is a preseason tournament and it doesn't necessarily reflect how the regular season is going to start. Right. Um, so yeah. flipping over, I don't want to talk about the spirit too much just because we've talked about them a lot in recent weeks, but, um, maybe just one quick question about the spirit. Obviously they, they, they dropped two points to the pride very late to two goals and in, in stoppage time starting to feel a real sense of frustration from, from spirit fans, you know, rightfully, but also from the organization. And once you kind of get that, that, uh, that feeling that there's just too much adversity between you and, and success at, at what point does, does that start taking your season down a road that you don't want it to go down? Yeah. I mean, look, I, I think, you know, being up two nil in the 90th plus four, let's call it, and and drawing two two is is a terrible result, no yeah. matter how you shake it. And and I think that was, um, it was poor game management in some ways. Um, you know, I, I think they had a chance to go three nil about a minute before that with you know a two v one where um, Ashley Sanchez, you know, just kind of uh, settles for a shot from about twenty yards out when right. I, I think she could have, you know either or kept dribbling or just dribbled, you know, kept dribbling into the corner or, you know, gotten closer to, to finish. But um, is that the reason that they drew? No, but, you know, I think to your point, um, I, I, it's like a bad joke, but I keep watching other games and get, you know, you get that schedule reminder at halftime and whatever. And I'm like, the spirit are really playing again. Yeah. And you know, these, they're just, these games keep coming for them. And you know, to your point, the frustration is there. We know the frustration is there with the refs. I think, you know, I don't think the refereeing was particularly poor in Orlando other than I think, um, I think Chris Ward's, you know, and, and probably knew this was coming. I think, I think Chris Ward was probably getting, you know, uh, a little bit of a, a nonverbal response from the referees on the day for, for the past week or two. Um, but you know, that's not the reason that they drew. And and I think, you know, these games keep coming and you've got to find a way to, to pick up a result, pick up some momentum and, and also just shake it off. I mean, right. The schedule is not going to change at this point. And, you know, I think he said, I think Jason Anderson tweeted this, they've had one real training in a month, which makes sense with the cadence of the schedule and recoveries and everything. But you know, you've got to find a way to get to that June international break and, and hit the reset. And, you know, some of that is going to be grinding out results. And when you're dropping a two nil 
in Orlando too, with full respect to the pride. I mean, that, that is a tough result. So I think, um, how do you get there? You know, in some ways you've, you've got to just leave the referee stuff behind and, and leave, you know, the last game behind. I mean, you hear about that sort of coaches throwing out the tape sort of thing. Um, I, I don't know if you do that necessarily because there are some things to talk about from that game, but you've, you've got to move on and um, you don't have time to really to dwell on anything the way the schedule lays out for the spirit in particular. Right. I mean, you mentioned that Sanchez uh, chance, and I think that's a good maybe encapsulation of it. Right. Which is like tired legs, tired mind. Um, maybe if she feels a little bit fresher, there's a different decision made. Right. And and then that sort of <clears throat> was reflected in the defense as well at, at the end of that game. And so I do think that it does get harder to execute, even in the ways that you know how to execute when you are that tired. Um, all right, yeah. but let's, let's close this out with, uh, like I said, we, we didn't get a chance to watch Louisville, Kansas city, because that is coming up in a little bit, but after recording, but let's talk about LA versus Gotham. Um, Gotham gets the win, which, you know, I think that obviously that's really, really good for, for momentum for them going forward. I would say from first, you know, from first whistle, it seemed like there was a big sense of urgency from Gotham felt like they really wanted to get a result out of that game. I don't know if it was the, the crosstalk between LA and, and New York or, or if it was just the, the record that they have, but it felt like Gotham looked a little bit more like the 2021 version of the team. And it was enough to get that one, no win, but I think you're still looking at that and going great for them to get the result. They've got some great playmakers, but where does this go next? Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, part of that 2021 identity was, you know, really feeling, I mean, we talked about like, we used the phrase like regressing to the mean and, and that whole season it was like, okay, when is this luck might be a harsh word, but like, when is this streak of, um, you know, not conceding goals that they very clearly should go into break. And um, I think that broke pretty late for them last year in, in some ways, but you know, that was an element in LA on Sunday night. I mean, that was the, the amount of pressure from angel city in that final 10 minutes. And, and I'll give credit to uh, aerial drawers um, XG map plots that, sort of paint a picture of this where suddenly there's this vertical line. I think it was right. the 85th minute, but that amazing Kristen press chance that, that Ashlyn Harris saves was in the 80th, yeah. I believe. Well, there were the two, right? It bookended the game. There was the right. one at the very beginning of the game, which I, I saw a stat. I do think that that chance was maybe like a 0.4 XG chance. Mm-hmm. She was in a good spot and that just didn't quite land for her. And then right. The chance at the end of the match, um, yeah. There aren't going to be many games where press does not score on one of those two. Chances, you know? <laughs> and I mean, that last 10 minutes, that was a, a knockout cup game sort of onslaught. I mean, yes. right down to Didi Harachich is up on a corner, which I, I think was actually slightly bizarre for a game in May in the regular season. But, you know, I, I think maybe was a testament to the momentum that they felt because this was absolutely 10 behind the ball at that point for Gotham. And, and look, they got out of there with it. Um, right. I think credit to them. And that was, you know, for them as well, that was a result they needed. I think the, you know, the Gotham project, um, again, we can sort of hedge this a little bit with early season, but, you know, in some ways for me, and I think for you and, and maybe some others, as much as there has been 
a, a hype around Gotham. Um, I think this is a project that a lot of us had some questions about as it was sort of retooled in the off season. And, and I think some of those questions have only been amplified for, you know, the challenge cup and into these first few games of the season. So, you know, this was as, as early season results go, as much as they can be big wins, this was a big three points for Gotham, I think, because you go home from this and you lose to angel city and, you know, you're coming back home to, to the Washington spirit next weekend. I think that you really have to that spirit conversation we just had about sort of the mental side of it. I think you really have some questions and, you know, I think you could see some palpable relief um, from Ifi Onamanu after, after the game uh, from Midge purse, even in that sort of uh, team video that they released with her um, with the two of them, you know, I, I think you could feel that the post game huddle, Ashlyn Harris post game media, you know, there was, there was a, a collective sigh from this team, sigh of relief. And I, I think that they needed this. And, and that's obviously, I mean, there's a lot of tactics to talk there, but, you know, as, as far as we're talking with identities and, and really trying to hammer home, like, who are we and is it working? Um, I really, I, I still don't know if it is in Gotham, but they needed this to at least confirm themselves that it might be. Yeah. And I mean, like I said, I, I felt like, there were elements of luck to this. There were elements of, I think, maybe trying a little bit too hard. The first part of the game, I think, for Gotham, there was just a little bit too much power on every pass. Um, but I thought it was interesting on the broadcast that they they acknowledged, well, Scott Parkinson kind of acknowledged in his coach's call with, with the broadcast that uh, he thought maybe he was confusing the team a little bit, that they were trying too hard to implement the things that he wanted to implement and not focusing on just sort of playing their game. And so if this was the game where he says, you know, don't worry about the system, just go do what you know how to do. I think we saw that. Um, I think maybe just the concern is, is that sustainable through throughout a, a full season? And so it'll be interesting to see like, okay, they, uh, they reduce some of the, the white noise, you know, they don't overthink it. They get the win. That's great. Do they want to continue to play like this or go back to that 2021 version? Or is it now trying to continue to implement those new ideas and have it work? And so I'm, I'm interested. I'm just interested in where this goes from here, um, because I think obviously you you change things a little bit. You get the win. Your choice now is either to lean into that and, and truly go down a different path in terms of team identity or it's to try to find a balance of both. And I, I'm fascinated to see how that works uh, for Gotham going forward. Um, for Angel City, unlucky, I think, in this one to not get a, even a point. Um, but I think maybe the lingering concern is what it is, which is just depth, right? You know, Freya Coombe is not really subbed that much. They have this big push at the end of the game and it doesn't necessarily feel like they've played in a lot of the substitutes on their bench. And so it felt a little bit like a new game state for a number of players. And so Jeff, for you, we talked about, right. Jumping off to a good start, the California teams, does angel city have the depth to keep this, to keep getting results, I guess is the question. You know, I'm wondering what, how this answer changes in the, in the coming weeks, perhaps with, right. with a lot of sort of, different yeah, rumors international windows opening around. up right yeah yeah, yeah. Um, but but at the moment i mean that's been the question right i mean they've been playing 
forwards in in fullback spots, which is not you know unheard of. But I think we've been seeing a lot of a lot of sort of players out of position. I mean, the, the Tyler Lucy fullback one day experiment, I guess, really sort of right. encapsulated that, and it worked or, or well. Like on Sunday, Jasmine Spencer has to come off, and you think <clears throat> who's right. who can come on for her, right? <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. So, and and I mean, even you know, at center back, I mean, we've talked about why some of these things have have happened with injuries and whatnot, but you know, I, I think that. Um, depth is, is a question. And, you know, we talk about the long season and the slog ahead, you know, I think that's, that's going to be one, um, you know, particularly that back line. I mean, I think that, uh, particularly, you know, Vanessa Gilles is, is sort of the amount of pressure that she carries given the sort yeah. of rotating casts, uh, or I think she's been incredible. She's like she has been yeah player of the uh, month candidate. 100% in, in the regular season. Yes. Yeah. I, I think that she had a little bit of a, an expected adaptation period in that challenge cup that, you know, the, some of the defensive struggles, which were, were significant for angel city in the challenge cup were, you know, partly some players learning new positions, but I, I think, you know, I don't know that she's absolved from those, but yeah, I mean, Again, I think that's a, a a grace period that should be allowed, and and I think since then has been has been quite good. And but but you know she exits the scene. I mean, who do you? I guess maybe you're banking on Paige Nielsen being healthy by that point. Um, right. I, I don't know. You know what does that back line look like during the July window, right? So, you know, I, I think that there are questions that will remain on that front. And again, maybe we get some answers in, in the international window here, but, um, you know, I, I do, I do wonder, and you can ask the same thing about San Diego in terms of, you know, how long this, this sort of, uh, riding this wave for, for, uh, (laughs) you know, (laughs) how long that lasts, but, um, you know, I I think it'll be interesting to see, but I've been surprised actually, I'll admit that angel city has been this good in the regular season, given that, I thought they were flat out terrible at, at large stretches of the challenge cup and, and they've really managed to, to flip that. I don't know if some of that you can, you know, that first game at the bank, you can say, okay, a lot of momentum there, a lot of energy you can ride off of, but they've managed to largely keep that. And to your point, does it last? I'm not sure that it lasts to this degree, but you know, I, I think that they are a competitive team. Yeah, I think we've got a number of competitive teams, and that's really exciting. Um, I think that there, you could make an argument for just about any team that they're good enough for fourth, fifth, or sixth, right? Um, we're still kind of waiting, I think, to see the true top of the league kind of rise, and it's early days. Um, but yeah, I think it's it, we could have a similar year this year that we did last year, which is I think we might have three or four teams fighting for two playoff spots at the end of the season. And I think that that's pretty exciting as well with these California teams walking in and, and already, I think being in contention for that, that those middle of the table quarterfinal spots. Um, yeah. So I think it was a good, it was a good match weekend. I, I enjoyed it. Um, we'll see if any other kind of trends emerge. I guess what I'm finding is the game results aren't always <laughs> matching the trajectories that we're seeing, but that's NWSL. And I think that that's interesting too. Um, thank you so much, Jeff, for joining me. Uh, I have been your host, Claire Watkins. Shout out to our producer extraordinaire, Jacqueline Purdy, and our distributor, Blue Wire Podcast. I have been your host, Claire Watkins, and we'll be back with you next time.